Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. That comes with faith. This place where we become like immovable, like we persevere, that we don't deter, we remain. It's about standing firm and standing strong. And if you turn to me, sorry, if you turn to your Bibles, um, to Romans chapter 1 and verses 16 to 17. Here we see Paul um, writing to the Roman church. And the Roman church was um, a church that was very uh, different to churches that were rising in that time. So it was a church that massively, in the, in, in the initial phases, comprised of Jews. It was a huge Jewish church that had Jews who had converted from Judaism uh, to Christianity. And then it gets to a point where a lot of things go on. Um, like um, we have Gentiles who start coming to faith. And the Gentiles and the Jews, there's a bit of tension between the two of them because the Jews are used to a certain custom. And the Gentiles, they don't know anything about Judaism. So the Gentiles is anyone... It's literally anyone who isn't a Jew. So that's probably all of us in this room. I'm assuming, I don't know if there are any Jewish people here. If there are, howdy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's this tension between Jews and between Gentiles. And Paul writes this text. And in, in chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. And this is the bit. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. He says the just shall live by faith. The just being us or the just being could be being yourself, someone who is saved, someone who has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You pursue him, you follow after him. He's saying that the just, those who are saved, are to live by faith. And so, faith, yeah, it's not just this thing that's just a belief. It's a steadfastness. Like in, in this, message, in this um, text, Paul quotes from um, a verse in, in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 where he says the just shall live by faith and I don't know if you've I don't know if you're anything like Danny and you you just bailed out at, at Leviticus didn't get all the way up to Habakkuk <laughs> it's it's one of the minor he's one of the minor prophets and like I wanted to speak for a little bit of Habakkuk today because I feel as though Habakkuk really sits and fits with I don't know about you but me personally Habakkuk is a is a prophet who the prophets were basically God's mouthpiece here on earth. God would speak his word through the prophet to the people. Almost like this here now. But Habakkuk's uh, prophecy is a little bit different. Habakkuk has a conversation with God. He goes back and forth. There's this wrestling between Habakkuk and God because Habakkuk has questions that he puts to God and, and, and God answers, but he's not satisfied with the answer. So then he goes back to him. And you see this back and forth, and normally you don't see that in the, in, in the Bible. You see only in a few instances, Moses goes up on the mountain and hears from God. And, you know, you hear uh, Jeremiah, he has a little bit of a conversation, but it's very, very rare. Normally, it's just God speaks, and you tremble and do it. <laughs> it's like, literally, that's a summary of the Old Testament. <laughs> like, if he speaks, you do it. But Habakkuk has this conversation, and I think it really, like, 
resonates with, it really resonates with me and I think it re- can really resonate with us is because the questions that Habakkuk asks, he's asking God, where are you in the midst of my situation? See, when, he, when Habakkuk's writing this, when he's writing his prophecy, they're in a place where Josiah, whose king, has just died. And if we know anything about the kings, if you read through like First and Second Kings, you'll see that the kings, basically, there were a people who, they kind of did some good and then it all went downhill. These guys just all went off track. Immorality, idolatry, everything. They did everything that opposed God in every way. And Josiah is this young king who rises up and he brings spiritual reform to the nation of Israel and to, well, to the nation of Judah, shall I say. He starts to to reinstate the things of God. He finds the scrolls in the temple and starts to reinstate all of the things that God commanded them. But then Josiah dies. And when Josiah dies in battle, the nation of Judah, they start to go astray again. They start to revert back to what they were doing before, back to idolatry. They start to revert back to sin. They start to revert back to their old ways of doing things and relying and depending upon themselves rather than looking to God, their source. And so Habakkuk's here frustrated. He's like, God, like where are you in the midst of this? Because in this moment, this period of time, God's been silent. He hasn't said anything to them. And this is why Habakkuk takes it upon himself to then go and speak to God. And he's like, God, you're not speaking through me. You're not speaking through any of the other prophets. Where are you in the midst of this? Our nation is falling apart. You've got absolute calamity taking place in Judah. Israel, it's even worse. It's awful. And Habakkuk is a man of righteousness. He just, all he wants to do is see God's will come to pass. That's all he wants. He wants to see God's goodness reinstated in the land. He wants to see people flourishing again. He wants to see people blessed by God. He wants to see the things that are good in his people's life. And so he's frustrated. There's this like righteous frustration. And so in the first chapter, like Habakkuk starts talking about, starts asking God all of these questions. And, and, and God responds. And he starts asking more and then God responds. And in verse 4 is where you see the response. The, one of the key responses, it says, Behold the proud, sorry, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. What he's saying about it, what he's saying there is, is the proud, they trust in themselves. They rely on their own strengths. But the answer that God gives him is he says, but the just, you shall live by faith. You shall live by that which is believing in me. But being firm in me. Because like I was saying, they went through silence. They didn't know what was happening. Imagine. Imagine this for yourself. Your entire world falling apart. And, and I know for a fact there's people in here who experienced that. Marriages fell apart. You've lost your job. Like you're in the process of losing your home. Like, I don't know, kids could be wayward in, in so many ways. And you're speaking to God and it, there's silence. You can't hear anything. And God says to to Habakkuk in that moment, be patient. The just shall live by faith. You see, God God gave them a promise. He gave them a promise. He promised Abraham. He gave promises after Abraham. He made covenants with them where he said he would always be there for his people. And so sometimes our circumstances may look, 
They may seem as though everything's falling apart. They may be falling apart in many ways. But do our circumstances dictate our faithfulness towards him? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Man, I was, um, I was at work this week and we were reading through an article um, that was like put together by the BBC. And it was all about how like social media is changing the church and like the internet and smartphones and apps and all of these different things is changing the way we do church. And like in the article, it's, it goes on and it starts talking about, um, it starts to speak basically about how with smartphones, you know, reading your Bible, I'm not saying if you read your Bible on a smartphone, it's bad in any way, shape or form. But he's basically saying stuff along the lines of when you, when you read on a phone, like it's, it's very much easy to read that specific segment, only look at that spe- segment and kind of like delete the rest because you just keep scrolling. Whereas when you read a book, you can see like what's come before. And just mentally, your mind like records that. So just by reading a book, you tend to read more within context just reading a book by itself rather than just keep on scrolling and just reading portions and bits and bits and bits. And it went on to reference um, two people, two fantastic authors, a guy called Christian Smith uh, and a lady called Melissa uh, Denton. And they wrote this book um, called uh, Soul Searching. And they wrote about this phrase. It sounds like more complex than it is. They coined this phrase, uh, called moralistic therapeutic deism. So yeah, turn to your neighbour and say that. <laughs> Everyone's baffled. <laughs> so, moralistic therapeutic deism sounds way more complex than it actually is. It's it's so simple. What it is is, you just break it down. Moralistic, good morals. You take some good morals, and then you have something that's therapeutic. You know, it's like a therapy to you. It makes you feel good. And then you have a deism. Deity always refers to a God of some sort. And essentially, I think we, we can tend to do this in our lives. This is what the, the, the article was leading towards. It says that oftentimes we can read like real small portions of scripture. And oftentimes there's scriptures that we'll just strip all of it away and just end up with like the moral piece where there's a good moral. You know, give to the poor. And that's a good moral. Do, unto, do to your neighbor as you would want done unto yourself. You know, that sounds morally good. And so we take that. And then the therapeutic part. So we take some scriptures that make us feel good. So, I don't know, we might take something and say, oh yeah, I know the plans that he has for me, Seth the Lord, or something. Something that's going to make you feel great in that moment. Going to uplift you. And then we create a God out of it. And this is the, the dangerous bit. Because I'm not saying here not to utilize scripture in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> We're to be in love with this word. What, what, I was, um, what Christian Smith and uh, Melissa Denton refer to is that when we take morals that we deem morally good and we take things that seem therapeutic to us and then we carve our own God out of just that. And what we end up with is a God that kind of looks like us. So, yeah, I agree with these morals. Yeah, that therapy sounds great to me. That's about right. And I'm going to form this God. And this is who I'm going to subconsciously and consciously put my faith in. And I think it's so easy for us naturally to gravitate towards that. Like just taking these bits of scripture and then molding and shaping our God out of it. And all it is is the scriptures that you like. But then the scriptures that challenge us to our core. 
that shake us because it's going to require so much change. Loving your enemies. Like we, we, we leave that out. And this is what our faith can rest in. And then what happens is we put all our faith in this, believe in this, this, this deity, this God that we've created. And then when times get tough, because our times don't agree with our morals, or because our times don't agree with the therapy that these scriptures are saying, it all kinds of like falls apart. Anyone ever experienced that? I know I have. <laughs> it's like, man, it's as if you just see your relationship with God falling apart almost. It's like, God, where are you in the midst of this? You said that you had good plans for me, but my marriage is on the rocks. You said that you had great plans for me, but I've just failed all of my exams. I've got to do resits. I don't have finances for that. Just lost my job. Habakkuk speaks about faithfulness. You know, when it says the just shall live by faith, there's a, there's a great scholar, there's this guy called F.F. F. F. Bruce, he's passed away now. Um, he, used, he used to lecture at the University of Manchester, and like, um, he was a professor in biblical criticism and like exegesis, so like the unpacking of the text. And he says that the word faith in, in the Hebrew, in Habakkuk, is this word that basically refers to um, steadfastness, it refers to a loyalty and, and he says it's also a word that you find throughout scripture in places like where Moses was, do, was in battle with the Amalekites. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story. Moses is in battle and he's praying. And as he prays, they start winning the battle. And then when his prayers start to fade, like they start losing the battle. And so Aaron comes along and holds up his hands. And as Aaron holds up his hands so he can continue to pray, they win. As soon as his hands drop, they start losing. And he says, this is faith. F.F. Bruce says, this is what faith looks like. It's like this. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of a storm, in the midst of challenge, you remain unwavered. He says the word faith is also linked to marriage. Till death do us part. It's linked to this fidelity. Something that lasts. Something that can't be dictated or determined by our circumstances. And this is what we're called to build on. We're called to build our life wholly upon this. And so, Paul, Paul's a fantastic author. Like, I, I love Paul's messages. Anyone that knows me knows that I love, I love the book of Romans. Like, I absolutely adore it. I think Romans is one of the most amazing books ever penned. Just because it's like packed with theology. Which is just like the study of God. I don't know, it sounds a bit smarter than it is. <laughs> but... Yeah, it's just packed with who God is. And Paul, in, in verse 16, you know, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. He says, I'm not ashamed. And, and that unashamed part, like always, always gets me. Always. He says, I'm unashamed. He's basically saying, I'm gonna pre- I'll preach to anyone at any given time any given moment because the gospel is the only way that can bring about this faith it's the only way and so what Paul does is he he risks everything to preach this gospel to remain faithful to it and like 
I've, I've, I've put together a few scriptures that show this. And so when Paul say, says, I'm not ashamed, if you look in um, Acts, you can might make a note of this, they won't come up on the screen, but if you look in Acts chapter 16 to 23 to 24, we see that Paul's preaching the gospel in Philippi and then he ends up getting imprisoned as a result. And so when he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed, he's saying, man, you can lock me up. I'm going to remain faithful. Faithfulness in the midst of his faith. When, if you read on in Acts chapter 17, Paul's preaching the gospel in Thessalonica and then he gets chased out. Like, he's literally chased out by a mob that want to kill him, but he manages to get away. But he gets to this town called Berea and he starts preaching the gospel there in Berea. And then guess what? The crowd that were chasing him from Thessalonica, they followed him to Berea and tried to get him there. So then he had to get smuggled out on a boat out of Berea. Then he ends up in Athens and he preaches the gospel. Huge crowd. And they laugh at him. They're all just laughing at him. It's as if he's a mockery, like just making a mockery of him. And then he goes to Corinth from there. He doesn't stop. He just keeps remaining faithful. He goes to Corinth. And if we look in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says that they regarded him as a fool. He said the wisdom this man, that this man preaches is just foolish. He's an idiot. And then the one that gets me the most, if you look in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 to 20, it says Paul went to Galatia and preached in Galatia. And it says that the people there, they took up stones and stoned him. And what that means is, is when someone gets stoned, they die. So they, they piled these huge rocks at him. And then it says in the scriptures that they then dragged him out of the town because he was, they thought he was dead. Anything dead that remains in the city or in the town becomes unclean and it would make them unclean. So they dragged them out. This is a sign that they thought he was dead. All right, but you read on the next verse. It says, then the disciples ran up there and they gathered around him. And it says, Paul got up. And then it says, Paul went back into the city. <laughs> this guy is insane (laughs) like insane but when he says the just shall live by faith this is what Paul's talking about he's talking about a faithfulness that won't be wavered regardless of situation regardless of circumstance regardless of what we go through it's essentially saying, because I'm not saying that, oh, we need to go out of here and then just go and get attacked <laughs> for the preaching of the word. Let's go to the most dangerous places right now. You know, let's go and, Danny, let's tech youth and let's go, <laughs> let's go to a war zone and just preach the gospel. And this will be discipleship for all of the youth. That's, like, that's, that's not what I'm saying, like, at all. But what I am saying is, is where our faith calls us to, be faithful. That's all it is. You see where Paul's faith called him to? He had to be faithful. That called him to prison, but he remained faithful. He called him to get in stone, but he had to be faithful. That might not be your portion. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I don't know. I'm hoping I don't get stoned. But, <laughs> but if, that's, if, that, if that is what would be required, then we're to be faithful in that. And this is what he's saying. The just shall live by faith. The saved shall live by faith. Those who know God shall live by this faith, this steadfastness, this immovableness, this steadiness. Like Abs was saying, we can wobble. 
but we won't shake and fall. This is the faith that we're required to have, not creating, copy and pasting a God into our own image. And when things don't sound like how we would want them to or look like how we would want them to, we then give up and say, oh, he's, he's not what he says he is. He's not who he says he is. That's, the, that's not the God of the scriptures at all. And so how can we grow our faith? You know, I was really thinking about this and like, I don't, I thinking, oh, could I come up with about five steps? I'm, I lack so much creativity. I'm, like, I'm not that guy at all. <laughs> Genuinely think the most simplest thing we can do to grow our faith, read our word. That's it. We read this. We grow a relationship with this. Telling you, the shakiest points in my life have always been when I've been furthest away from study. Always been furthest away. I start to just rely upon myself and my own inclinations, my own thoughts, what I think is, is a good thing to do. The Bible says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy is understanding. Like we, we're, to, we're to live by this. This is to, to guide our path. This is what helps us in these times and in these tests. It's not this copy and pasted God that's pieced together that will save us. It won't. And so I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for breakthroughs and things of that nature in our situations and our circumstances. I think we should wholeheartedly stand in faith, believing for God to change and impact situations that we, that we might endure and what we might face. I think we 100% to do that. But at the same time, if, if our expectations of our prayer is this one specific thing, God has to do this. And if he doesn't answer in that one specific way, then that can't be what dictates our faithfulness. Can't be. So we pray believing. We pray believing that God would change things. Man, I've, I've been to this church, what, just under two years. And I've heard so many testimonies of people going through difficult things. We, we just heard two, two prayer um, requests read out from people who, who fa- were facing terminal cancer. Like, that's drastic. Absolutely drastic. And this is a common thing for, for a lot of people. I can guarantee almost everyone in this room has... has Someone in their life who has been affected by cancer in some way, shape, or form. And, and I totally believe that for every, like, even if we just live with cancer for one day, it's one day too many. I totally believe that. But if my prayer for the healing of that cancer, or my prayer for poverty to be uplifted out of my life, my prayer for a job, my prayer for all of these different things, if the answer doesn't look like what I want it to look like, that's, that's the point at which we need to rethink things. That's the point at which we need to go to the text. Because God is always for us. He's always against us. I mean, so he's always with us. He's never against us. But we have to realize and understand that his ways are above our ways. And so if I paste this God together in my own image... You know, James chapter 4 and verse 14, it says that our life is like a vapor. It's like a wisp of air. 
Imagine that. You, you know when you boil the kettle and the steam comes off? And it's like that. That's what James describes our life as. And to think, if our expectations aren't met when our life is just like a vapor of air, and from that perspective, we look at everything. We look at life as a whole and we say, oh, things have to be met like this. But we have a God who is far above that. You see, God's perspective in, in Isaiah chapter 55, I think it's verses 8 to 9. He basically, um, Isaiah basically says, as far as um, the heavens are above the earth, is so far that my ways are above your ways. And so far are my thoughts above your thoughts. And this is why we can't hold God to our moral and therapeutic standards. We can only hold God to what he promises in the scriptures. And he says, I am for you. So even if we face trial, even if we face, we're in the midst of battle, we're in the midst of a storm, like storm after storm after storm after storm. We have to trust that. He knows what he's doing. He's in control of this, this entire situation. And so the faithfulness of having faith, we pray and believe, we believe that God's going to turn the situation around. But if the turning around of that situation doesn't look like what I think it should, will I still be faithful? Yeah. There's, there's an amazing an amazing guy called Dr. Esau McCauley. And he's like a, um, he's a professor in like the New Testament. And also like in early Christianity. And he like specializes in the, the letters and the writings of Paul. And he has this quote that blows my mind every time I read it. And he says, when Paul wanted to encourage Christians, he did not say their breakthrough was around the corner. He helped them to make sense of their suffering in light of the coming reign of Christ. If we suffer with him, he's quoting Romans 8 here. If we suffer with him, we'll also reign with him. He says, sometimes the breakthrough doesn't come. Christians get sick and die. He says we lose the job and we don't get a better one. The resurrection and the transformation of all these things remain our hope. The resurrection and transformation of all these things remain our hope. Not victory over haters, but victory over death. What's, what's he saying here? He's saying that oftentimes we will ask for these situations to be changed, which we should always do, always. But if they don't, understand that what he's offered us is a change of everything. You see, we live in a broken world that's fallen, broken in every sense. You don't have to go far to recognize that we live in brokenness. We've got poverty on our doorsteps. Like I was saying, we've, we've read out prayer requests of people suffering sickness. This world is broken in so many ways. Sorry, I always quote scriptures. <laughs> First Corinthians 15. Do you read towards the end in the 50s? It says, And this corruption shall take off, sorry, this corruptible shall take off its corruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. And then we shall say, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Like, this is what he's speaking about. 
that ultimately if our circumstances don't change in the way in which we would want them to, just know that he's going to change it all for you. Sometimes, our, sometimes what we need is answered here and now in the, in the finite, in time. But sometimes it's answered in eternity. And that has to be the bedrock of our foundation. So as the band come and close uh, with me. What's the bedrock of your foundation? What's, what's keeping your faith together? What's your faith founded upon? Is it found upon what you deem to be moral? And what makes you feel good? And if God does something that doesn't make you feel happy, then God can't be a good God. Is it, is it founded in that? Or is it founded in the God of the scriptures? The entirety of the Bible? Where we see Paul go through all sorts absolutely all sorts but God was always there with him breaking him out him and Silas out of prisons how God was there with Shadrach Meshach and Abednego in the fire he didn't put the fire out he stood there in the midst with them and so with with every head bowed with every eye closed I just want to ask like if you would want to put your faith your trust your hope your belief all that you have in Jesus Christ and this is a question that I want to throw out there for, for those who don't know him at all you know whenever I see Jesus at work I always ask this simple question always ask this simple question you know does the, the sin that I once loved am I now beginning to hate it Essentially, it's asking, is a work starting to transform within you, like, start to work within your life? How I used to view things, is it changing as a result of the worship we sang, as a result of the word that went forth, as a result of, I don't know, the, the conversations you might have had in the hub before you walked into church? I don't know what your week looked like, it could have been something pertaining to that, but is there a, a stirring that's starting within you? That's taking you away from what you now would deem to be wrong and and starting to push you towards what you now believe to be good and right do you want to know him and and if that's you i just want you to raise your hand i want to pray with you and so there's no pressure at all i want to just see a hand if that's you and i just want to pray a prayer that would help you to walk this faithfulness it's awesome awesome Gray, is there anyone else? Amazing. Let's pray. Let's all pray this prayer together. Amazing. Yeah, let's say this all together. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, and your love towards us you help me to be faithful regardless of circumstance help me to trust you help me to love you and help me to live a life that honors you thank you lord in jesus name amen